Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and if I was a bonder on Akoria, I would bond with Nakara, Lair Scavenger, because she's my wife and I'm very gay. Uh, and I'm Chris Delano, and if I bonded with a creature on Akoria, I would bond with a possum dinosaur, because what's better than a possum than a giant possum? I know possum is not a supported creature type. You don't have to tell me that. Odd. Can it be like a giant possum dinosaur with a whole bunch of baby possum dinosaurs on its back? Yeah, I was thinking like the baby possum dinosaurs and me would all like hang out and we could just hide in the pouch if we needed okay, to. Okay, but can it be like a possum dinosaur with a bunch of really long spikes on its back and all the little baby possums, there's just like one on each spike hanging upside down with its tail? Uh, absolutely. That is the the perfect image of a possum dinosaur. And just think of it like eating a giant grape. That reminds me, there is a lot of grape talk in this novel, but we'll get to that later. There are at least three references to grapes, I'm pretty sure. At least two, maybe three. <laughs> yeah, uh, today's our story summary of Coria, Lair of Behemoths, Sundered Bond by Jenga Wexler, the novella that goes with the set. But first, hey, the full set is previewed and out. And so go check that out at the Image Gallery. This is one of my favorite worlds Wizards has ever done. The art for the set is absurd. It's so good. The monsters are so cool and so creepy and so adorable. So definitely go check it out. Go check out the like comic book style um, showcase frames. We have uh, all the mutate cards in the set have kind of a, a pen and ink heavy, heavily lined, big vibrant color movie poster vibe. Very cool. And then there's, uh, in the variant section on the Mothership, there's also the Godzilla series cards, which are the both the Biobox promo and the box topper that comes with every booster box of this set. And uh, this is the first time Magic's ever crossed over with another IP that they don't own onto a Magic card in a Black Butter set. It's very awesome. As, as a Godzilla fan, I'm super duper excited. And uh, if I wanted to know more about Godzilla, where could I go to learn more about Godzilla? Well, gee whiz, Chris, because uh, our, our buddy Jay and Ellie, who's usually on the podcast and is not this week, uh, is also a huge Godzilla fan and wrote an article all about Godzilla stuff, introducing the characters that appear on these cards and whatnot over at Cool Stuff Inc. So we'll link to that article so y'all can go read it because you should because it's cool and monsters are great. I yeah, I absolutely love Ikoria. This might be my favorite magic world since maybe Innistrad, honestly. Like this place is awesome. I I really love Ikoria. Yeah, I uh wrote creative text for the set, so I've been very hyped for this release. It is I think the most exciting thing that I worked on that's coming out this year. Um just so glad that everyone seems to like it too because that makes me very happy. I, I like this world a lot. And if people like it, then that means we will hopefully get to go back again someday. We absolutely need to go back. There are so many stories on this world that I want to explore. Well, so. first, let's explore the actual story that we know for this world. So, uh, yeah, Sundered Bond, the novella. It's over on uh, Amazon.com. $4 by Django Wexler, who previously wrote the Gathering Storm last summer and fall, the uh, 20 issues of the Ravnica story that sets up War of the Spark, which were fantastic. We did a bunch of episodes on those, so if you go back in our old track listings from last year, you can listen to those. Django is wonderful. I'm so glad that he came back for another story, and I think he wrote a really, really good book frankly. Uh, we'll get that out of the way first. Um, I, even knowing all the major story beats and, and generally knowing what happens, the way Django writes characters really makes this book come alive for me and made it really, really fun to read. Yeah, this was an excellent read. It's it's eight chapters long and it is, I think I read it in about, uh, I started it like yesterday afternoon and I finished it very late in the evening it only took me maybe five hours to read the whole thing and that was one i'm pretty slow too so like it is a it is a quick novella you can read it's absolutely worth it i think it is worth reading just if you can i recommend it yeah i i am a slow reader and i have focus issues so it took me about two days i did four chapters on tuesday four chapters on wednesday but got through it all right so uh sundered bond 
We begin with Captain Luca of the Coppercoats, the military force of Dranith, the largest human settlement on the plain, the giant walled city. They are in... Uh, so Luca belongs to the Special Intercept Squad, a basic task force in the military that rather than sit back and defend Dranith, will go out into the field to intercept monsters before they get to the interior walls of the city. So uh, he and his crew are facing off against a nightmare. And this is a, a fun little, you know, kind of... Um, military bros on a mission type thing uh so um i don't know if anyone remembers like band of brothers that steven spielberg did about a what or two bunch of years ago it's just like the exact same vibe everyone's you know can't wait to get home and drink can't wait to you know get out of there because it's a bunch of hard work and luca is like this gruff gritty military commander uh who's always ready for action and always knows what the good fight is and is willing to put his life on the line and and whatnot literally uses himself as bait to get this nightmare into a trap yeah we we meet his team and there's i think there's five of them correct there's luca the twins his sort of second uh and effa is her name and then nick who's the like sniper expert and so like it's kind of that you get that sort of like military special forces feel where each one of them has their own specialty uh, and they all fight this nightmare and they all impl- like implement their own sort of skills to take it down. Uh, and Luca does offer himself up as kind of like the sacrifice in a way to draw the monster out and then all of them spring into action and like a little well-oiled machine take it down. Yeah, so they kill this nightmare and they return to Dranus to make the report and they are supposed to get four days leave after this, and Luca meets up with his fiance, Captain Jarina Kudro, the daughter of the general of Dranis military, and they hang out a bit and get a little smoochy and intimate, and uh, you know, standard, standard like movie plot. Ah, oh, finally, it's time for our military leave, which gets cut short because a strange new flying monster starts attacking Dranith, and it obliterates almost an entire force, and Luca's crew has to be rushed and sent out. Yeah, to give an idea, Dranith is set up in these concentric rings, and most of the time, the monsters don't get really far in. There's like four different rings, and usually they're in the third or fourth, and this monster has made it all the way to the second ring, which is where like people live in farms, and like that's not a place you want a monster running around free. Uh, But they do, they go to the farmhouse where they find it completely covered in corpses. This is a very efficient killing monster. And they sort of start implementing their tactics that they were doing with the nightmare before, where the sniper gets ready to take a sniping shot. The trapper goes to set up their traps. The twins get in position to kind of take a double whammy on the monster when it shows up. And Luca's like, all right, well, I'm going to sit here and be the bait with this odor thing. And uh, then they all die. Um, with the exception of Luca and Effa, the monster sort of comes out from a wall and just takes out one of them. It's just a bloodbath. And Luca manages to offer up himself, get in the way of the monster before it can kill his second, Effa. And she takes off running, but Luca, something happens and a bright green light flashes between them. And then Luca wakes up in the infirmary. So at the moment of this flash of light, he feels the things that the monster feels. And and we know from all the world-building stuff, this is the Eluda, the connection between a bonder and a monster that sometimes just happen randomly like this. Or I, I guess not necessarily randomly, unexpectedly. And so Luca learns that he has bonded with this monster. And here's the problem. Bonding with monsters is not something that General Kudrow is a fan of. Because he hates monsters. Like... He, he is the monster-hating military commander archetype, if you watch a lot of, like, kaiju movies or monster films. And he has city researchers looking into bonding as a phenomenon because it wasn't unheard of before, but in the last year, there have been way more. And so Kudro is like, oh, if Luca has a connection with this monster, he cannot be trusted, and we need to arrest him. 
And Jarena arrest in quotation marks. Uh, yeah, Jarena <laughs> believes that this is a move to execute Luca outside the um, the network of courts and whatnot. A so she goes down to meet Luca, and they concoct a plan where he pretends to take her hostage to escape the citadel, the central fortress of Dran- Draneth, and Luca is trying to escape through the gates as in the walls as they go out but word about his potential treachery is spreading too quickly and he gets stopped by a bunch of guards until he's rescued somehow because an arrow slams into the ground and a shimmering green beast appears and starts attacking the soldiers and luca is rescued by vivian for a mysterious reason and they manage to sneak out of the central parts of yeah vivian uh keeps her cards very close to her chest she doesn't really explain directly why she saved him and she sort of lets that unravel over the course of the the story but she jumps in she saves his life she gives him protection and helps him out um and they manage to escape the city and go out into the wilds and while that's happening uh (laughs) general kudro decides that the best way to hunt down this this escaped copper coat is to hire a band of hunters, and he tasks Jarena with leading the hunters to Luca. Uh, hunters are, we've talked about them a little bit last episode, they're these people who go out and hunt monsters for sport, and these hunters that are hired are sort of like the dark version of Luca's team from before. They're, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I really liked the parallels here. Um, like, yes, the Draneth military is bad. It's pretty fashy um but like the and the like but the monster hunters are all like quirky individuals too so it's it's foiled camaraderie and uh i i don't know how to pronounce the main hunter's name because i don't know how to pronounce mz is it a blend i don't know i i would i went with mz 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 i don't know she's awesome though she was like She's a veteran hunter and like half her face is all burned and she wears a mask over half her face. And uh, one of my favorite things about her is that she refers to her little group of hunters as cowards all the time. She just calls (laughs) them the cowards, but like not maliciously. It's like a term of endearment. And and that's fun. I I like briny personality miscreants like that. Uh, Big pirate vibes, I think especially Definitely. for this group. And yeah. so uh, Jarena and the hunters are questioning loyalties with each other and, and kind of have a bunch of challenges of authority of, of who's really in charge of the operation. And uh, Jarena kind of gets outvoted a lot, uh, not democratically, but Jarena doesn't get her way in a lot of the situations. Yeah. And we see that come up because, uh, they're they're sort of out in the woods traveling and we get to witness a scene where Luca and Vivian encounter a monster. I think this one was a it was like a beast clade of some kind. I think um, it's a nightmare dinosaur. Was it a nightmare dinosaur? It might have been a nightmare beast. It had six legs, so it was a nightmare of some sort. Uh, they have this battle with this monster and they wound it and it runs off. And Luca's like, all right, we got to go chase it down and kill it. And Vivian's like, mm, I don't think so. I think we can just let it go. And Luca's like, yeah, he's so confused. And Vivian's like, it's not hurting us, so we don't need to kill it. Yeah, we get a lot of really good looks into Vivian's personality in this this story, too. Uh, So Vivian does finally explain why she's here. She is uh, interested in the bonding process. It's, Ikori is filled with lots of strange creatures, so she's kind of researching them. And she is able to... You know, she found Luca outside Draneth because she sensed the energy when the Aluta between him and the cat was formed and followed it to Draneth because, you know, this is a thing she is looking into and and thus happened upon Luca. And now they're kind of together. And Luca's very confused because he's like, how come you don't know anything about monsters? Aren't there monsters everywhere around here? I know you said you're not from here, but I can't believe there's a place on Accordia that doesn't have monsters. What's your deal, lady? Yeah, they. Uh, we do then see a scene where the hunters 
kind of go and finish off that monster that they that uh, Luca and Vivian fought earlier and take some trophies from it. And then they sort of use that as an ability to track down and find where Luca is. And we see this confrontation where Jarena and Luca meet and Vivian's there. She's just kind of watching from the sidelines because I think Vivian really fits this like role of like the passive observer in a lot of situations where she's just sort of watching to see what's going to happen next. Uh, and very, very yeah. green idea of not taking action unless she has to. Yes. And I, I loved learning that about her and sort of getting to know her because of that. But Jarena and Luca have a moment where Jarena's like, come on, come home. And Luca's like, oh, but what about this? And they're, they're all in agony. And then uh, one of the hunters just sort of decides to throw a bola at, um, at Luca's legs and try and trap him. And that sets off this whole fight. And Luca and Vivian end up getting saved by the cat that had. Yeah. By, by the way, you know what kind of uh, metal that uh, was made out of that bola? It was, it was a nickel bola. It was a nickel bola. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that there's nickel bolas on this plane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, I'm a terrible person. This is where Luca starts to explore the idea of his bond with the cat and uh, starts to share its thoughts and feelings. Cause like this cat is smarter than the average monster. And Luca realizes that it's been hearing a voice to drive it to Dranath to kill and destroy, which is uh, he can sense a foreign presence in the cat's mind. So it's not something the monsters like monsters normally will attack Dranath, but now they are being pushed to it attack Tranith savagely and aggressively and that worries him and and you know he and Vivian have a discussion about the Ozolith and how they need to go there and uh the Ozolith is the largest crystal formation on Akoria it's north of Tranith uh and Vivian talks about how it's kind of a central hub of the nexus of crystals throughout the entire plane and I, I think the idea is that the crystals kind of grow and help either grow near or help direct ley lines. They're, they're kind of this metaphysical connection and kind of the reason why there's the five triomes and, and whatnot and the five major clades, big metaphysical things that are sort of explained, but sort of mysterious. And uh, not only can the crystals transmit the ozoliths, you know, murder signal throughout the plane, but it also <laughs> allows the bonders to talk with their monsters and monsters talk with each other and bonders talk with each other. And it, it's, it's basically this entire, uh, I don't want to say telepathic because crystals sharing information is not telepathy. Uh, but it's this kind of astral web of networked communication. It's, it's an interwebs is what it is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it's email. The E stands for evolution. <laughs> oh God! Uh, so so they they um, are on the way to the Ozolith, and Jarena and the hunters are like, "Hey, we can't walk and match pace with a flying cat, so we're gonna need some help." So they build a bonfire with a uh, blue smoke signal, and Jarena's like, "What are y'all doing? We need to get going." And they're like. We got this. And suddenly this balloon comes down and uh, the, the smoke signal has summoned a farrier or it's a taxi. I, I don't they even know. It, it, it sounded more like like a uh, a lift to me or or because um, like it didn't seem like it was a person whose job it is to carry people. It seemed just like someone who was passing by was like, hey, y'all yeah. need a lift kind of thing yeah, there was just someone passing by but it it it's funnier to think of it as like the lift of the skies <laughs> yeah um so they get on this balloon and go to sky sail because they need to requisition passage on a ship and so they're up in sky sail and Jarena's very uncomfortable and there is a narset cameo she's not named here but she is buying a whole stack of books at a book dealer in a market who is like specifically she's spying used books at a used book dealer. Yeah. Meaning that there is a bookstore that is not for used books and only for new ones. Meaning 
that there is a printing press on this plane. Sure. Um, Sorry, that was I, I just had to make sure people understood that. I mean, Gutenberg I mean, it, that's, that's not unreasonable. Ikoria. What did he say? I said Gutenberg is from Ikoria. Probably not. With a name like that, he's probably from Innistrad. But um, yeah, so they end up meeting with. I think it's Falk. F-A-L-K. I'm not sure. <laughs> Captain Big Hat. He had a big hat. Yeah. Anyway, so they go to the ship. They're basically like sky pirates. And the captain has a gigantic hat. It's very goofy. And so, you know, we we now have sky pirates with monster hunters trailing uh, an arcane archer and a military commander on a flying mutant cat going to a magical rock that's surrounded by terrifying nightmare monsters. And Ikori is the greatest. <laughs> they really leaned into it with this one, and I love it. It's so fun. So Vivian and Luca meet a, whole bu- a couple other bonders when they're at the Ozolith. They meet Bryn, who is kind of young and quirky and peppy, who is bonded with this monster Roland, or Roll for short, who's a giant, pudgy, fluffy, pink raccoon monster. And like rolls around so like much. Sonic. If anything bad ever happened to Roland, I would die. Uh, no, seriously, Bryn and Bryn and Roland are wonderful. Uh, then there is Barrow, who has a helmet with two metal horns that mirror the horns on their lightning cat Zeph, who is like gigantically big, like the size of a dinosaur, big. And then there's Abda, who's like really tall and beefy, and I'd probably be gay for. She has a monster named, uh, it's either Riggy or Riggy, who's like a badger monster with a whole bunch of spikes. Yeah, Abda's called Spiky by Bryn. Yeah, and, and sh- what does she call Bryn? Oh, I forget. She's got some cute little name for her. But the, the implication is that all of these bonders uh, know each other and like stay in contact with each other. And actually, the way that they meet them is Bryn signals to Luca's cat to come down and meet them using that connection that the bonders have between each other. Uh, there's no like smoke signal or flag or anything like that. Bryn just sort of tele- telepathically or empathically communicates with the cat and says, hey, come down here for a second. Empathic network. That would have been a better email joke. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Vivian believes another planeswalker is behind the incident at the Ozolith. So she's here to research, but she is also here because of this, what she senses, villainous presence. She's gotten her revenge against Nicol Bolas. Bolas is defeated. She believes he's dead. And so she discusses that you know you know what what is her life's meaning you know what does it mean for her to be a planeswalker and for her she has seen now a lot of really bad people do terrible things with their spark they've been given a great gift and have squandered it on violence and evil and one of the things that she wants to do even though she didn't join the gatewatch is to make sure uh bad guys don't do bad things she's she's basically taken up the kind of lone hero uh wandering hero type thing so uh and you know she she talks about losing scala and nicobolos and explains what a planeswalker is and the multiverse to luca and is like hey luca like i care about your world like i know you think i'm some idiot who doesn't know anything but like believe me i have endured loss and i am watching you endure a loss of your home because luca luca all luca wants is to get back to Dranith and get back to jarena and he will do anything to get back there and and Vivian sympathizes with this and is like, I, I know what you're going through and I really want to help you. So, like, thank you for trusting me and working with me. Yeah, they, they bond over both of them being unable to return home. Yeah, and, and Luca is like, oh, don't worry. What happened to you is not going to happen to me. Because Luca's not great with his emotions. And yeah, <laughs> that is that's one way to put it. Um there's also the scene that happens on the ship with Jarena and the captain and like an elemental attacks and Jarena kills the elemental and it's a really cool fight scene and you should read the novel and what like experience it for yourself but it's pretty cool. She gets a lot of respect for it. Yeah, there like a big thing in this novel is Jarena getting respect cuz like she doesn't believe that Kudro um Kudro respects her uh as a military commander. 
and is, is really self-conscious about the fact that she's the general's daughter and kind of gets some privilege because of that. And um, she really wants to prove herself as a leader. So like getting to prove herself against this electric elemental hawk thing uh, earns her the respect of the crew and is kind of a, a growing point for her. And uh, that's important because they do finally get to the Ozolith where the Bonders <laughs> and Vivian and Luca are fighting all these nightmares and this massive battle starts. It is a it is bloody. It is not. It is is bloody and brutal. Yeah. Abda gets shot through <laughs> with a harpoon meant for monsters, which is not good when you're people. Oh, a harpoon meant for monsters that was intentionally shot through her. Like that is one note to make here is that these uh, these people killed her and it was not like, oops, we shot the human instead of the monster. They deliberately they sh- targeted her. Yikes. Yes. Uh, the hunters kind of engage in this fight with the bonders who are also fighting these nightmare monsters and then things get a little out of control. Yeah. So while this is happening, uh, you know, this is a big distraction so that Luca can make his way to the Ozolith. He puts his hand on it and feels the energy and all of a sudden, like, everything goes dark and then everything is just like a floating sea of orange light. And Luca is like, Luke, Luca's renowned soldier he thinks you know he's he's smart and he immediately realizes hey this is some kind of illusion i'm not teleported anywhere this is kind of some kind of mental manifestation of the energy of the ozolith and he starts thinking and then someone starts talking to him a mysterious voice Ooh, very mysterious very familiar but that we'll get to that in a minute uh yeah this this voice talks to him and is like, hey, what you doing? And kind of explains what he's up to, or excuse me, what this voice is up to. We don't know anything about it. And it explains like it's, yeah, it, this is the source of pushing the monsters, but it's it needs more. It's not quite as effective as it would like to be. And it set up some sort of trigger to let it know if someone came and interacted with it and that that's been tripped. And now it's going to talk to Luca and while it's talking to Luca, it shows Luca that Jarena is there. And Luca's just like overwhelmed with emotion. Is like, oh, wow, I love Jarena. And then it goes, oh, well, you know, if you want to, if you want to take some, some of this power, you can have it. And Luca's like, but why? And then it shows Abda getting shot with a crossbow bolt and is like, I don't think you have a choice in whether or not you take this. Yeah. So like one of the things it does is it asks Luca what he wants. And Luca's like, well, I really just want to go home. And I don't actually think Kudro is going to welcome me back. Honestly, like this is kind of his moment of clarity where he actually kind of understands himself uh, the one point. And it, and it is ugly. Uh, I, I, I did see some people talk about the scene as this voice kind of manipulating Luca, but I strongly disagree with that take. Uh, I don't, Luca's not manipulated here. He is offered power, but he's not manipulated into taking it. He's not manipulated into thinking things. He has asked questions and answers them honestly and makes the bad villainous choices himself. And so, yeah, I have some, I have some thoughts on, on major themes of this book and we will talk about them later, but one of them is a, a theme of control and Luca is in control at this moment. Luca makes his own choices. Yeah, so he and he makes some bad choices. So he gets all this the power of the Ozolith, and he uh, comes out, eyes glowing orange, radiating orange energy, and he reaches out and he gains control of every monster in this fight. And he turns them against the Bonders. He turns them against the monster hunters. He turns them against the pirates. And in an instant, the entire tide of battle turns, and nearly every human is slaughtered brutally and savagely and only at the last second does the lucas cat monster who is not being controlled uh rescue jarena yeah it's an important plot point here that luca cannot easily take control of monsters who have bonded with humans so the uh roland and zeph are able to resist the the magic and the cat is able to resist the magic in some kind of way but uh Riggy, who is left without a bonder because Abda has been killed, is overwhelmed by the power of the Ozolith and turns against the humans. So Vivian kind of disappears in all this and Jarena wakes up 
next to the, the giant cat on the edge of a stream and is like, what the hell? This is a monster. What the hell happened? And the, you know, the cat kind of motions for her to drink some water and she does. And for some reason, she she trusts the cat because it is connected to Luca and she still loves Luca and still wants to bring him home. And so she's in this awkward situation where she flies back to Dranith on the back of this monster who they know has killed multiple copper coats. And the uh, the cat ends up like once they get to the walls of Dranith, it gets shot at by a bunch of crossbows and kind of twists its body to to shield Jarena from any of those hits and kind of clumsily lands on the wall and Jarena gets off and is like, hey, stop, stop, stop. Uh, it brought me here. And uh, she, uh, once she's uh, put back together in the infirmary because she was wounded uh, in this battle, she talks to Kudro, who is like, hey, I can't trust you either now. Because you brought a monster into my goddamn city. I should say God's damn. Gods and hells are both pluralized in this, which implies some kind of polytheism with multiple underworlds or afterlives. It's pretty cool. I like those tiny little details that give hints about this culture, but are kind of on the fringes of importance, but still flesh out a fantasy world. Anyway. Jarena's like, look, we where's this monster? Because it still has a connection to Luca, and I think we can use it to help find him and bring him home. And Kudro wants none of that, because if it has a connection to Luca, and he still believes Luca's a traitor, and so, you know, that's not going to stand. So he's like, here, Jarena, take this sword and execute this monster. And Jarena's like, you know, this is kind of like a test of loyalty. And Jarena's like, hell no, screw you, dad, and storms off. And so Kudro takes the sword and beheads the cat monster, which Luca feels the moment it happens. Luca and, sees it. Yes. Luca can see through, the Bonders can see through their monster's eyes, and Luca watches it happen. Um, it's very and, sad. And most importantly sees that Jarena is back in Dranath. So he's like, oh, we go into Dranath, and he kind of uses the Ozilus power to summon a massive army of any monster he can find. So he's marching this monster army, literal monster army, to Dranath. And Jarena has kind of warned everybody, and, and scouts have seen his army. And Dranath is preparing for battle, and um, Kudro is like, listen, Jarena, there's pretty much no reason that you're not in prison right now, except for the fact that I want you to come into this battle. And Jarena's like, what? To like, You want me to like lead a a cadre of soldiers and Kudro's like no I would drag you out in chains if I have to I want you to take this knife and kill Luca because he still loves you and you can get close to him and I want him dead and Darina's like oh yikes don't want to do that so they end up meeting on an island in the middle of a river in one of the outer rings of Tyranneth and uh, Darina gets close to Luca and is like hey hey this is like a trap like I'm supposed to, like, kill you. And Luca's like, oh, well, I came here to kill your dad and take over the city because monsters are a fantastic weapon. And don't you understand it? We can use monsters to fight instead of the copper coats. And I'm right and you're all wrong. And I'm going to make you all listen to me or kill you. And Jarena's like, oh, no, Luca, you're terrible. And so takes out the knife and uh, Luca just dodges a slash meant for his neck. And the moment this happens, like a mole monster pops out of the ground next to him and starts killing soldiers and uh, monsters come a out of the water. Octopus. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Roctopus. The Roctopus that, that specifically pops some of the soldiers with its tentacles like grapes. Um, it's a grape reference. Yeah, so, one of them. So, so Luca has hidden like all these monsters, uh, elemental monsters in the area. And uh, within moments, the copper coats are overrun and like they suffer heavy losses and have to retreat. And um, while this is happening, Luca uh, attacks Kudro and takes out his sword and jams it through Kudro's chest and murders him. Jarena does jump into the water and manages to escape and gets back to the citadel. She gets back to the Citadel with the help of Vivian and the Bonders, who were very close by and actually had offered, had like snuck into Jarena's tent and like been like, hey, we've got this whole plan. And she was like, none of that's going to work. So they save her and she manages to sneak them into Dranith by like 
exerting her authority as the acting in the name of her father who is dead, but she hasn't told anyone yet. Yeah, uh, she she kind of usurps the command of um, I forget his rank, but his name is Brid. He's he's been like this sycophantic <laughs> jerk who hates Darina throughout the whole story, and seeing her in her like moment of command, being like, "Look, I don't care what you say. I know what to do, and I'm seizing command of this operation because I'm speaking with authority and knowledge and intent and heart." And so everyone like listens to her because they actually do respect her. Like uh, Vivian gives her a good talk about, you know, in, in times of crises, people don't rely on the fancy structures of peacetime. They fight with their hearts and follow their hearts. And so, and so Darina wins over the hearts of the Coppercoats and convinces them to let a whole bunch of bonders join the fight. So like a whole bunch of more bonders assemble in the city because they have like one day's march until... Uh, Luca's army reaches Draneth. And then it does. And he's riding on the top of a massive elemental uh, turtle with a like mount, uh, like a snow-capped mountain on its back. And they're assaulting the high walls of Draneth. Monsters spread all the way across, poking and prodding and fighting for, looking for a weak point. And so the copper coats and all these other bonders are fighting and it's this huge battle and Jorina's like, oh, it's time to actually kill Luca. She jumps off the wall onto this uh, mountain turtle. And uh, right as she's going for a strike against him, Luca just like smiles and commands the turtle to shift. And she slips and falls off. And uh, he he comes down and does like basically a big villain speech of, you know, uh, we could have the monsters die for us instead of human lives. I'm doing... I'm doing this to save people. You should all listen to me, blah, 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 blah. And he does his big villain speech because, surprise, Luca's the villain of this story. Like, there's a voice in the Ozolith that is driving things bad on the plane, but Luca is the one who's, like, the main villain of this story, even though he's the protagonist, which is fun. I generally enjoy stories about villains. Um, so... The other Bonders are, like, slaughtering a bunch of his army, though. His army got spread a little too thin, and, and his forces are weakening. So he's like, oh, wait until you see how powerful I can be, and tries to draw all the strength of the Ozolith into him to gain control of the Bonders' monsters. And the voice from the Ozolith, like, chimes up and is like, I don't think this is a good idea. And Luca's like, well, I'm doing it anyways. And the voice is like, I told you it's not a good idea. And then all of the crystals start shattering. And the Ozolith explodes. Uh, yeah, it it backfires pretty heavily. And Luca doesn't just lose control. Luca loses corporeality. He he disappears off the plane. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, the the pain, painful burning sensation of the overload of Ozolith energy would have killed him, but ignites his planeswalker spark instead. And a uh, uh, slight backtrack because very cool moment. Uh, Vivian summons a gigantic monstrosaur from Exelon to fight the uh, turtle mountain, tur oh, the turtle elemental. Such a good moment. This is a reference back to Vivian's uh, original story, Unbowed or Unbowed, because <laughs> an archery pun by Cassandra Kaw from a couple years back, which is on Exelon and uh, kind of bonds. Uh, Bond is not a good idea. Kind of uh, <laughs> gets the Pokedex data for a monster sword and puts it in the arc bow. So I, I really liked that callback to her old story. Um, oh, such a good moment. And and so Luca's gone. And uh, after all this, Dranith is kind of like in shambles. And Jarena takes up command and is like, look, my father was an ass. And Luca was an ass. And we've got like a lot of monster hating history in this city. But we can work, hopefully, to change that. And hopefully one day we can all be way more accepting of Bonders and their beautiful connections with monsters. Because that's kind of something she realizes over the course of the story. That the, the Bonders and their monsters are really good and powerful together. And they're good allies. And she now allows them into the city. Uh, I think they're still like banned from the Citadel and like the city center because... like. They're too big. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> too big, and like the city doesn't work with monsters in it. So they're like, "Look, you're going to cause too much property damage in here, but you're welcome 
otherwise to to dwell in Draneth. And and Vivian is like, hmm, well, I guess we didn't find out who what the deal with the Ozolith is, but I guess I guess I'll have to keep searching the multiverse. And, and so she leaves. And then Luca wakes up in a swamp, and there's a bunch of monsters in the shadows stalking him. And then he feels a twinge of energy from the Ozolith that still is in his body. And he reaches out and gains control of one of these secret shadowy predators and uses it to attack the others. And he just smiles because he's gonna build his strength and return and show Draneth just how wrong they are one day. Done, done, say he, done. Uh, you could say Luca casts a uh, fight spell to make one monster fight another monster. Uh, and so that's Sundered Bond. Yeah, it's really, really enjoyable. And even though you've just listened to a full summary of it, I so recommend reading it because so much of what makes this novel really good is in the the small character moments. Uh, I really loved the characters in this novel. Django Wexler did a fantastic job with them. Yeah, Django does side characters really well. Uh, all the side characters he wrote for the Ravnica stories, The Gathering Storm, were really, really good. And he does so, too, here. Like I said, the, the monster hunters are delightful. The bonders are all delightful, even though they show up sparingly. Um, they're they're great. Yeah, I think all of the characters are really interestingly fleshed out. I think Luca is a great, like you mentioned, he's a great example of this sort of protagonist villain, where you can sort of chart his growth over the course of the novel from this, you know, upstanding sort of swashbuckly captain of this special guard to an absolute terror like he is terrifying in the last scenes of this book he, yeah he, he goes from respected soldier to maniacal despot um which uh yeah he he's he's got some like toxic masculinity problems he doesn't know how to like corral or deal with his emotional states uh he is a terrible person frankly and uh, I, I, I will talk more about him because um, I've so I, you know, wrote his voice lines for Arena. So I'll talk him uh, about him more later this week when the uh, Arena update happens. But um, on Twitter, uh, my Twitter, not the podcast Twitter. But uh, yeah, he, he's a terrible person. But uh, I, I really enjoyed the way uh, Django wrote him. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things about working on a multi-authored IP, uh, like I said, uh, I think it was last week. That, um, you know, I, I get to write characters that other people get to write, and we may not necessarily write them in the same way or see them the same. Um, so I, I really like seeing what's the same and what's different. Uh, and and I, haven't, I haven't had all the thoughts about this percolate yet, um, but I think Django and I are, are really similar on where we are with Luca. Uh, a lot of the, the villainous speeches he gives are pretty similar to some of the lines I wrote, which you'll get to hear in Arena soon. So... Um, yeah, he, I will say, so I like the story. Uh, it's basically Luca's villain origin story. And I like stories like that. And this is a good story. I, I will say, I think my, my only main critique is, is that this is not the story I would have told on this world. Um, Ikoria the set, you know, like I said, I worked on the set. It, it's bright and colorful and joyful and ecstatic and exciting and fun. And this story is deadly and a little dark and uh villainous and angry and full of rage like there's there's some some of that feeling from the set is in the story uh, the, the bonders definitely echo that a lot of vivian's dialogue echoes uh her um not quite people people compare her a lot to steve Irwin. i i don't actually like the comparison entirely but my takes on Vivian are different than community takes because I'm in a different position than community. Anyway, um, all, that does come through in sections of the story, but overall, that's not the kind of story this is. And um, that kind of total disconnect is not where I had, would have gone, but that is also something, you know, that so much about Ikoria would have, and these characters and the way these characters were developed would have changed with a different story. So, like part of the world building and the story are entwined with this story in mind. Uh, so it's not just like a, they could have just written another book because that's not how any of this process works. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I would have liked a happier, more joyous story, I think. But this story, like this story is still really good. Like I, I, I don't want 
that criticism to undermine the fact that I love this story. No, I think it's I think it's an important conversation to have about the different mediums of a card game versus a a novella versus sort of an IP on its own and how like I said at the very beginning is that one thing I love about Ikoria is that there's so many stories here and I think that you could take this world that we have and write so many different stories and adventures from it but then also the cards themselves tell these stories that we don't even see a glimpse of in the novella because the novella is so focused on one individual moment and one individual storyline. Uh, we we sort of see a lot of these things. There's been a lot of talk in the community recently about having legendary creature cards that don't show up in the stories. But I feel like we needed so many legendary creatures to give us a sense of the magnitude of Ikoria and its monsters and the world there that we needed those in the world building and in the card set, but we didn't need them in the story. Like this story would have been incredibly difficult to read if it tried to reference every single legendary monster from this card set. Um, And I think that by doing that, by sort of taking a little sliver of something, we do miss some of the world building and some of the things we enjoy about Ikoria and the, the colorfulness of it, the creatures, all of those legendary creatures and the legendary bonders that we meet in the card set that we don't get to meet in the novella, but they're still part of the story. They're just not part of this story. Yeah, so it, it's a breadth versus depth thing. Um, you know, th- this novel goes way deep on Dorena, who is a POV character who takes up, I think, more than anybody else. I think, I personally, like, this is Luca's villain origin story, and I think he's generally centered as the protagonist, but I believe Jarena is the hero of this story. Yes. And, um, you know, she's fantastic. She's wonderful. I love her. She is so caring and passionate and determined and stubborn and uh, gains a lot of confidence and self-assuredness. And she's wonderful. And I want to see her more. And uh, it's delightful for me because I didn't know a whole lot about her before this book. She doesn't, you know, I she didn't have a lot in the card set. And, you know, she's not a planeswalker, so I don't like do all this research and delve into her character for arena. And uh, it's really fun learning uh, about her along, you know, kind of with the rest of the community for that. But uh, yeah, so definitely if you like magic story and I hope you do, cause you're listening to a Vorthos podcast, the Vorthos cast. In fact, um, <laughs> there are other Vorthos podcasts and you should listen to them too. Cause they're great. But um yeah, like a- after not having a story for Theros, uh, having a story back is really wonderful. And go read it. And Django is great. And I want Django to write more stories. And he should come back anytime. I think like he and Kate Elliott have done a couple things for Watsi now. And I hope the two of them keep returning because they're both so good. I love their stories so much. They do an excellent job of creating a story in the world that feels like a story. Like it doesn't feel like a companion to a game or like a little insert into a book it feels like an actual story or novel or novella and it just is set in that world yeah um there were definitely moments especially like in uh battle for zendikar and othely gay watch there were a lot of kind of side stories that didn't matter to the overall plot that felt like they were there for the sake of the card set and not for the sake of storytelling uh which Mm -hmm. which is different than a lot of how these stories are and uh i i i think i prefer that kind of change but uh i i think that's about gonna do it for this episode yeah there's there's a lot more to talk about and i think we'll cover that next week uh specifically about the card set yeah next week is our flavor gems so we'll we'll dive deep into the set itself and you know talk about art and names and flavor text and references and it'll be a lot of fun Uh, i (laughs) It, it is a stark difference doing the flavor gems on sets I've worked on versus sets I haven't worked on. And I vastly prefer doing it on sets I worked on. It's really fun. It's, it's also really enjoyable for me to see like the cards that y'all on the, on the show connect with. It's delightful for me. But uh, yeah, so we're going to move into final thoughts. And my final thought today is... Uh, so a discussion came up. I don't know how. It was my fault, <laughs> though, uh, in um, Tappy Toe Claus's Discord server about uh, Reki, the history of Kamagawa, and whether or not he has tattoos on his toes. Uh, I, I can't decide if they're tattoos or tattoos, <sighs> but pick whichever one is worth worse. So um, Ethan Fleischer, 
wonderful fellow in Wizards R&D has a recce deck and is a huge Vorthos. And, you know, we've, we, by the way, we need to get Ethan back on the show. Anyway, so I asked Ethan, I was like, hey, what's your take on this? Do you think Recky has tattoos on his toes? And so he pulled up the art description and was like, well, it says he has tattoos from head to toe. And he clearly has tattoos mm-hmm. on his heads. So I would assume that he clearly has tattoos on his toes. So I'm going to say yes. So I, I am happily to, to support the idea that Recky, the history of Kamigawa, has tattoos or tattoos, whichever you prefer. Or I guess whichever word you don't prefer, because that's going to be the worst one. And this is just cursed, and you're welcome. What a cursed final thought. Um, my final thought is also going to be similarly cursed, I'm afraid, uh, because Django Wexler did a great job of putting little tiny world details into the story. Like you mentioned, the details of the gods and the hells. I noticed the details of a used bookstore, which I think implies some some larger things. Also, at one point, uh, the captain of the ship refers to Jarena as Lady, and she says we don't have royalty in Dranith, which implies that there is royalty somewhere on this world, which I think is very interesting. But most importantly, it's the uh, the recognition that Jarena relieves herself in the bathroom. Jarena poops everyone. I just want you to be aware. She Well, she relieves herself in a field in, in this story. Oh, she relieves herself in a field. That's true. That's even more primal in a way this world really is a world of monsters maybe humanity is the real monster um (laughs) jay and brian don't need to leave us alone anyways well this is a very awkward to try and segue into a closing here so i'm not even gonna try (laughs) because you know i can't say something like if you too relieve yourself in fields then head over to patreon.com slash the forthos cast and support the show today because that would be awkward you can however head over to patreon.com slash of the Vorthos cast and support the show today. Everyone who does gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses from around the world are super excited about Akoria. Everyone's talking about the novella. Everyone's still playing Animal Crossing, by the way. It's so good. And we're having a great time. And it's just a good time when new sets come out, especially to join the Discord. And we super appreciate everyone who's supported us so far and everyone who's supported us in the past and everyone who even just listens because you're all wonderful people. So thank you for listening. And this has been the Vorthos cast.